Amen, my brother. That was wonderful. You know, there's just nothing like the hope of glory. There's just nothing like it. And I've always felt that way since I was the day I was born of God and began to realize what this new relationship was with Christ the Lord. And I thought, boy, the hope of glory. Dr. John Walvoord, who was a president of Dallas Theological Seminary for decades, had a little plaque on his desk that said, perhaps today. That would be referring to the day the Lord would come, call the church home. The last couple of years have taken a pretty good toll, but the glory of that is this. I long for glory more than I ever have, and I am fascinated with the with the reality. This is real, and it's going to be because it is. And then someday, I'm going to be there. And I pray all of you will be as well. Subject at hand is a sign of the last time. The sign of the last time. Our text is 1 John chapter 2. And we'll read 18 through 29. You probably have heard people talking about, is this the last time? You know, boy, what's going on in our world? We're watching uh, Rome burn, so to speak, as far as looking at our country and uh, grieving over what we see. In this text, John talks about the last time and how we can know it's the last time and what to expect during the last time. But in the process of that, he gives a test of salvation from the negative perspective. In other words, not telling us how to know we're saved, but telling us how to know who is not saved by what they say. Our text, 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 18. Little children, is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have departed. They would have stayed with us, but now they went out that they might be shown that they were not of us. But we have an unction from the Holy One. You know all things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, that denieth the Father 
and the Son. Whoso denies the Father, the same hath not, denieth the Son, excuse me, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath given us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. You need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him that is coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we love you and we are grateful, Father, for this day of grace and privilege of gathering together to sing your praises, study your word. Lord, this is your time. All time is your time, but Lord, this time we're together for your glory and honor and praise. Wear me like a garment, Father, that every word, every thought, every illustration, every application be of and by and for you and your purpose in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, John says it's the last time Last time, what does he mean, last time? John wrote this, you know, 2,000 years ago. And he says it's the last time. Well, does that have a meaning and an application to us? When John uses the term last time, the Greek is eschatos, and that means last. And that's where we get the term eschatology, the study of eschatology. is the study of last things. And so eschatos, hurrah, last time. It is a definite, specific time frame. Not just any time, but he's talking about a specific time. A time frame. Literally, you could translate it, last time it is. Or last hour it is. It is a definite time. Now, you know this without me saying it. But a definite season or a definite time has a definite beginning and has a definite ending, right? That's a given. A definite time and a definite ending. So John says this is the last time, and we know one thing for certain. If when he wrote that, he was referring to the last time, and he said it is the last time when he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know he had a beginning. We know that that last time to which he refers had a beginning. A beginning, and we also know that he'll have an ending somewhere out there. Now, <clears throat> The best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture. And uh, everything else has a tendency to be conjecture, (laughs) speculation sometimes. There are three New Testament verses that tell us the context of what John means when he says last time. And the first one is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. These verses reveal to us what marked the beginning of the last time. 
These verses don't tell us what marked the end. These particular verses, there are other verses that do. But these three verses tell us what marked the beginning. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. God hath spoken in various ways. The first one would say, but in verse 2 it says, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. So God has spoken before through the prophets and all of that, but hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. First Peter 1, 2 talks about Christ being foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Spoken in the last days, manifested in the last times. Hebrews 9.26, speaking of Christ suffering for sin. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So certainly last time has something to do with Christ, doesn't it? The New American Standard translation of that last verse in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 has it this way. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested. So what am I saying? I'm saying that what the scripture says is this. That the last time to which John referred, he says it is the last time. Well, that last time that John referred to had its beginning with the earthly coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the beginning of the last time. Now, you know what that means to us? We're living in the last time. So when all this stuff that's going on around and people looking, you know, about the mandatory this, the mandatory that, and all this stuff. So you think we're living in the last time? Say, yes, we're living in the last time. Because we are living in the last time. Now, they're going to think you're, they want to talk about the tribulation or something. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we are living in the last time. It was marked for the beginning of it with the coming, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John said, there's a certain way we know we're in the last time. Right there in that first verse, 18, the second part of the verse. Little children, it's the last time. As you've, and, and as you've heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now, though, there are many Antichrists whereby we know. Many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, I guess one thing on the positive side, and I have a tendency to be a, a, a positive sort of person rather than a pessimist most of the time, but not always. When we're so aggravated by all these antichrist knotheads out there that are saying this or that, and we want to go slap them in the face in Jesus' name. <clears throat> you ever feel that way, brother? We can give thanks to God for one thing about them. They're testifying to the reality again and again to us. We are living in the last time. Because there are many antichrists. And Satan is doing everything he can. Orchestrating behind the scenes through the minions he can find on the scene. To refute the veracity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Antichrist. By the way, that, the term Antichrist only appears in the epistles of John. Only here. 1 John 2.18 and verse 22, again in 1 John 4.3 and then in uh, 2 John verse 7. Antichrist. The Greek behind it is Antichristos. Christos is Christ. Anti is against. Could be in some places in place of. 
the Antichrist against Christ, one way or the other. But notice in verse 18 that this word Antichrist is given to us one time in the singular and one time in the pearl. He said, as you have heard, Antichrist shall come. But even now, Antichrist are here. Interesting, isn't it? So there's an Antichrist that shall come. What can we learn about that word? It's a masculine singular noun. There's a male Antichrist coming. He shall come. That's what John said. He shall come. Would you like me to tell you when he's going to come? I can do that. I can tell you when. You know when? He's going to come before the Lord returns to the earth the second time. And that's all the scriptures can tell us. Or, excuse me, I, I said that I misspoke. That's all the scriptures tell us. And anything beyond what scripture tells us is speculation and conjecture and so often predisposed to along someone's theological presumptions. But the Antichrist, the person of the Antichrist, that male person Antichrist will come on the scene before Christ returns to earth. Turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I won't get off track here. I had to watch myself. The pastor said, Earlier, well, you thought you were going to have two sermons today. I don't want this to turn out to be two sermons. But boy, there's just so much you'd want to say, I'd like to say about this. Second Thess, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Uh, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye not be soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, or by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day? The day of Christ. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who is that? That's the Antichrist. for him. The Antichrist, the son of perdition, uh, the matter of lawlessness, uh, matter of sin, so forth and so on. That's who it's speaking of. That day, the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first and that matter of sin be revealed. Who opposeth and exalteth, above, exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. This is Paul writing. He told, taught them about this Antichrist person when he was with them before. This is the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the lawless one, the man of sin. And by the way, keep in mind now that the last days... And the day of the Lord are not the same. We're living in the last days right now. It began 
for the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is the end game when he returns to earth. And that day of the Lord doesn't come until the Antichrist comes. In the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the beast that comes up out of the sea. We have a false trinity. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the real trinity. We have a false trinity, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. The beast, the beast comes in Revelation. Note in this verse here, let's take just a little sidestep here. Notice it says when he comes, he sets himself up as God. In the temple, no less, and demands that he be worshipped. There are certain things that tells you about that. And there's a lot of folks that allegorize a lot of scripture. But if you just look at things and say, this is what it says. And this was written by the Holy Spirit of God as he carried along these holy men of old. So no prophecies of any private interpretation. It's the word of God. So we can look at it and see what it says. What does it say? That's where I grew up, you know. When my dad said, take out the trash, I wasn't looking for a hidden meaning. <laughs> you know, other things he said, to you, I knew, I knew. <laughs> God help us. Anyway, so he, he sets himself up in the temple. What does that tell you? There has to be a temple where he sets himself up. Right? Either that or the scripture is not true. But if it is true, and it is. There has to be a temple. So where is this temple going to be? Is it going to be in Israel? No, the Muslims have never agreed to that. But it doesn't make a difference whether they do or not. There's going to be a temple rebuilt. This beast that comes up out of the sea is going to be a very charismatic leader. And he's going to rise to power in an incredibly rapid way until he has dominion everywhere. But he's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. And he's going to break it midpoint. Midpoint when he breaks that treaty is when he sets himself up as God and demands worship. So in the midpoint of the tribulation is a seven-year period. Where do you get that? Daniel tells us the 70th week of Daniel, seven-year period. He signs that treaty. That starts that seven-year period. He breaks it three and a half years, four to two months in. That's the midpoint of the tribulation. you got the bold judgments after that. Okay. Now, hear me. All these people out here talking about, is the vaccination the mark of the beast? I mean, we got all this stuff to do. And MIT just came up with a deal. You can get it when you get your vaccination. They can give it to you. It's a little thing sticks in your hand. It injects ink in there that can be read with an iPhone with an application to say that, show that you've been vaccinated. And some companies won't let you go to work for them without, unless you're vaccinated. And some schools this fall are not going to let you go to school unless you're vaccinated. And some airlines are not going to let you travel unless you're vaccinated. Is this in the market of the beach? No. Is the technology available? Yes. We've been putting chips in dogs' ears for years. Certainly the technology is available. And it can be wonderful in one aspect of it. Years ago, they ran a test in the state of Florida about putting a chip embedded in the forearm for medical purposes. If you're a paramedic and you call to a scene, you got a guy or a lady down, you don't know what's wrong with them. You don't know any of their history. They could be in cardiac arrest. They could be in ketoacidosis if they're a diabetic. But if you knew something when you got there, you'd have a leg up on 
what was going on. And so you could walk up, scan this person, bingo, this guy has a cardiac event. He's had two or three, but he's a diabetic also, and so you know how to administer medicine. Good use of technology. The only problem with fabulous technology, there's an incredible number of principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places and want to use everything that's good for evil. Because why? The spirit of Antichrist works in those now the sons of disobedience. We're in the last days. There's a multiplicity of Antichrists. And there's a multiplicity of ways that the Antichrist can use to accomplish what he thinks he's going to accomplish and never shall. The defeat of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the stopping of his return. Well, so you can tell the folks out there we're in the last days. And that's going to get their attention. When you are going to agree with me, we're in the last days, no doubt about it. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I think, you know, everybody knows what a funnel is, right? I think we're in the neck of the funnel. (laughs) Billy Graham said about 40-something years ago, or almost 50 years ago, Billy Graham said, if God doesn't come back soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was four or five decades ago. Glory to God. If he were here today, he'd say, oh, my soul. He still might be sitting on my soul. You know something? The Lord is sovereign. And all this stuff can, if you don't remember where your bread's buttered and the fact that it's buttered by a sovereign hand, this stuff going to drive you crazy. And you have to temper yourself and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is turn on the news, you're going to stay mad all day. If you get up in the morning and turn on the real news, you're going to stay glad all day. There's a vast difference in how you begin your day. Start with the Word of God. Feel on the Word of God. Saturate your soul with the Word of God. Let the devils throw what they may. They can't take that away from you. So, now, back to the chips in the ears or the technology to mark everyone. Do you have to be concerned about that? You are never going to have to be concerned about that, assuming that everyone in the auditorium here this morning in our hearing audience is born of God. You're not going to have to be concerned by the mark of the beast. Now, you may have to get a mark of some flavor to go to Europe if you want to go and travel someplace you've got to have a vaccination but the mark of the beast is defined in the, in the word of God is not going to be a concern of the Christians because the rapture of the church comes before that and if you read go down later and read the second latter part of that chapter we read in Second Thessalonians it talks about the restrainer will be removed who is that? the Holy Spirit of God the church by the way will be raptured out before this before the tribulation so don't sweat that particular mark of the beast, and uh, you may be die, may be killed for your faith before them, but you're not going to be killed your faith during the tribulation. And so there are antichrist, and there are pseudo Christ, false Christ, and they've been going on and on and on through the years, all the way from back when John wrote this. When he said this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were there then. They were defecting from the true apostolic faith. And they're still defecting. Nothing's changed. 
technology, we know more about what's going on around our world more instantly. Stuff going on in other countries, we'd never had any way of knowing that back when I was Ellis County and barefoot little boy on a farm. I didn't, we didn't know about all this stuff. But now we can know it so quickly. When I was in my first pastorate, got a book in the mail, a little booklet. You may remember it, some of you. Pastor Dan, you probably got a copy. 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. Did you get a copy of that? I, I think I still have mine. We'll preach from it sometime. We'll team it. <laughs> there were 3.2 million copies of that thing printed. 200,000 of them were addressed to pastors in the United States. Who wrote that book? A guy by the name of uh, Wisenhunt, I believe. Same material. But he was a rocket scientist for NASA turned theologian, he thought. And he was convinced that it was coming. After 88, he had to make a revision. Years before that, though, probably at least seven or eight years before that, a friend of mine at Texas Instruments in Dallas, who had traveled all over the world for Texas Instruments, gave me a copy of a full-page newspaper ad that he got from a paper in some country overseas, wherever he was. And the headline was this, the Christ has returned. He's now back on earth. Must just come there, huh? Now, this stuff goes on and on and on, and it always has. I don't know when Christ will come back to earth, but I can tell you certain from the word of God that Antichrist will come on the scene on planet earth before he does. Mark thirteen thirty two. I don't know why. And I did a little research on why is it not wherever his name was. What did he do with Mark Mark thirteen thirty two? Jesus is speaking, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, neither the Father. But they look at things like this. So, well, that really doesn't mean that. Well, if it doesn't really mean that. What does it mean? To me, those kinds of questions make as much sense as me asking my dad, looking him right in the eye, Dad, you said take out the trash. What did you mean by that? That would not have been a good outcome. It just wouldn't have been. He was loving, but he was firm. But the contemporary sign of the time, times, then, now, is the proliferation of these antichrists. And they reveal something about themselves because they all have, in one way or the other, one measure or the other, the, the Antichrist is against Christ. And so the motivation behind the spirit of Antichrist, who are fueled by the same devil that the Antichrist, the person of Antichrist, will be in the future, is the same. To refute Christ, to deny Christ, some way or the other, an Antichrist. What is it? Scripture tells us, 1 John 4, 3, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. That's it. He did not come in the flesh. Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus speaking, There shall arise false Christ and false prophets showing great signs and wonders. If it were possible, even so convincing, they would deceive the elect of God. 
Matthew 7, 22 and 23. This has all been an incredible thing when I was first thinking about this years ago. This, this is incredible. Many will say to me in that day, saith the Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many more wonderful works. And the next verse says, in that day, that day when he's on earth again, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Can you imagine? Antichrist, false Christ, pseudo-Christ, doing works, healing people, miracles, this and that and the other. And people following him by the hordes. I remember a very nice man. I really believe he was, I really think this guy was born of God. Lived in Lindell, Texas. And I knew him. Casually, not closely. And he knew me. We had talked some. He was in a charismatic group out there. You know when the holy laughter took off? Remember that a few years ago? The holy laughter was going through all these shows. You know, this blessing of the Holy Spirit, and you go in there, everybody just rolls in the aisles laughing. That move would hit Florida, and he went down there to be a part of that blessing. People are deceived. Good people are deceived. Now, Jesus said, if it were possible, even they would deceive the elect. You know what I really believe? I really believe you can't deceive an elect person to cause them to lose their salvation. And they may flip and they may flop, but they can be deceived or confused for a while about certain things. But this stuff is going to go on and on. And how do we avoid that? We stay close to the Lord in prayer and close to his word. Every spirit that confesses him not that he came in the flesh is not of God. And they're going to do that one way or the other. They'll either deny his full deity or they'll deny his full humanity. Well, you see, he was the Christ, but he wasn't fully man. Or if he was fully man, he couldn't be Christ, you see, back and forth. Or they'll reject his priestly office. How would they do that? By denying he's the only way to be saved or the only one by whom we can be saved? That's the rejecting of the priestly office of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. And offering up some other means of salvation. Example, works, church membership, you know, whatever. He's not the only way to be saved. You probably remember several years ago, the pseudo-prophetess Ophir Winfrey said, Jesus couldn't be the only way to God. Just could not be the only way to God. I don't know where she stands today, but I know where she stood then because... I saw the clip of that. Antichrist. Against Christ. One way or the other, several years ago. Pastoring in Hideaway. Guy that I pastored called me and said, Pastor, a good friend of mine, whom I knew, I knew this guy, he wasn't in the church, wasn't in anybody's church, that I knew of. A good friend of mine has been taken to Mother Francis Hospital. Brother Ray, it's not good. It's not good at all. He said, in fact, in two or three days, he'll be taken to hospice. This is not, not a real old guy. Would you go talk to him? He said, yeah. So I'll go down there. He had the same name as I did, Bray. Then I walked into his room and spoke with him. He greeted me. Of course, we knew each other. Because of being in the community. 
and I didn't let on like I knew anything. I just said, you know, heard you in the hospital, or Ray, I'm so, so sorry you're ill. I said, I guess they're running a lot of tests. What are they finding out? And he told me. And he said, uh, they're going to move me to hospice tomorrow. And I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so very sorry to hear this. And it was a real somber time there. And I said, well, Ray, if you're not going to be here tomorrow, but you're going to be in hospice, maybe now's a real good time to talk about where you're going to be after hospice. Trying to be very gentle. He said, oh, I got that all taken care of. I got straightened up with a higher power when I went through AA. I knew that he had been an alcoholic. I got, I got that all resolved. And so I'm thinking and praying, okay, well, Lord, what do I say next? And before I could say anything, after he said, I got it all right with the higher power several years ago, he said, but I do not believe, emphatically, and put his hand up, I do not believe that Jesus is a good fairy that's going to take us all to heaven. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, chill shot up my spine, you could cool a glass of tea with. That was chilling. Heartbreaking. And I said, well, Ray, I said, you know, our only authority about anything about relationship with God is the Word of God. And the scripture says there's no other name given among men whereby we might be saved other than Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus said no one comes to the Father but by him. And I know the couple of verses. He didn't say nothing. I said, you know something? I'd be happy to go get my Bible and come back in or come to hospice with you. And I'll sit and talk with you as long as you want. And look at all the scriptures you want. If I can help you in any way. He said, no. He said, I'm okay. I got it right with higher power. They moved him to hospice the next day. And they moved him out of hospice just a few days later. What is that? I'm not trying to be unkind to this gentleman. It's heartbreaking. But what is that? The Antichrist says, Jesus is not the good fairy that's going to take you to heaven. Where do you hear that kind of commentary? That disparaging commentary about God the Father or Christ says, where did heaven begin? In the garden. Did God really say that? Yes, God said that. Jesus is indeed the only way to heaven. And when you get in heaven, you know what? You can look around. You're not going to find anybody that got there any other way. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is the only way you or me, is ever going to get to heaven. They reject the clear teaching and authority of God's word concerning life. This doesn't really mean that, or it really doesn't apply that. What happens then? We're ordaining, I hate to say this the same deal, but when a lot of churches are ordaining ladies as our pastors, and I don't really particularly believe that's what God said. And I'm nowhere online or something. But I also would tell you this. We are, the churches are ordaining homosexuals as pastors. And I have a clear understanding, and I suspect you probably do as well, what God actually says about that. 
And so we can't say, well, that's okay, that's Old Testament. I'm going to be a pastor because I want to be. God help you. God help you. God's word is everything. The word of God says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Well, what is that? What is that everything? It's a two-part package. One, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord of glory, the only way to be saved. And secondly, the Word of God to tell us how to walk in Him. We are saved. And that's the rule of our lives, I trust. If it's not, you need to re-examine what is the rule of your life. God's Word is to be the rule of our lives. They reject the prophetic office of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says that Christ is the spirit of prophecy. It's about him. John, Revelation chapter 1. God gave a record, the revelation of Christ to his son, given to John, to talk about what? What is revelation about? The returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we got the Antichrist. We got the, you know, the 144,000. We got this and that and the other, the, the two olive branches. No, but you know what the whole thing is about? The big issue is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. But they reject that. Oh, that doesn't really mean that. There's a group of theologians called preterists. They say everything in Revelation has already happened. And it happened in 87. And they can't explain when the sky went dark and the hailstones, hailstones, excuse me, 100-pound hailstones hit and all that. But they swear it's already happened. It hasn't. It's in the future. But we're in the last time. And the last time is going to take us all the way through the consummation up to the rapture. We're out of here. But then when the Lord returns and Satan has run around and done his deal through the Antichrist, the consummation of the age. But you know something? All praise to God through thick and thin and prosperity and and poverty and safety and horrifically dangerous times and bloodletting times, the true, genuine family of faith, chosen by His grace, brought to faith in Christ Jesus by His sovereign call, have held to the doctrines of faith, the apostolic doctrine, by the way, that was delivered to the apostles about the New Testament church and forward. I read you. This is a creed out of the fourth century. Why was this creed written in the fourth century? Well, they were having the same problem with people denying Christ, his deity, or his humanity. Athanasian creed, fourth century. Just one phrase out of it. I love the way it's said, though, stated. For the right faith is that we believe. And confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of his Father, begotten before the worlds, man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God, perfect man. So Antichrist always going to strike at that one basic tenet because it all hinges upon the person of Christ, doesn't it? And they always strike at that point. And they'll depart. In our text there, they left. First John, they left. Well, who left? They, and who did they leave? 
They left the church, the assembly of believers. Maybe it was in Jerusalem there, wherever it was. But that group of apostates who were rejecting some aspect of the deity, the fully, uh, full manhood of the Lord Jesus, they left the church to go form their own group. And we've got a lot of groups around today and that very same thing. But heresy is good in one sort of way. It's just real good. You know why? Not that it brings glory and honor to God, but at least you know who's not with you. Who's not of the family of faith. And you know, if you've got somebody in your church that maybe not agree with the doctrines of grace and be you know, a Calvinist like me and the preacher over here or whatever, and they want to hang around, that's okay. But they start standing up and saying, hey, Christ wasn't really Christ or he wasn't really God. You need to show them where the highway is out here, I guess. Because they're proving that they are speaking, at least at that particular point in life, by the spirit of the Antichrist. Maybe they'll someday be saved. Maybe they should stay. I don't know. But a person, a man, woman, a boy, or girl, born of God, begin to look at the Word of God, they're going to hold to the apostolic doctrines once the faith, once for all, delivered. That has never, ever changed. So, we don't know the exact hour when the Lord's coming back. And we don't know the exact hour when Antichrist will come on the scene. And we don't know the exact hour when the rapture will come. But we do know we're in the last time. And so we're living in the interim, are we not? The interim that began... With the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and ends with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but our particular interim between his coming and then the rapture. So what do we do? Paul and John both give good counsel. Have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ through the study of the Word of God. Hold forth the word of life. Shine his lights in a ever-increasing, perverse, darkened world. Shinest lights. Shining so as clear, distinct disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that will be unexplainable to them. They just can't understand us. Because I want to tell you, if a pagan can understand you, there may be something wrong with your walk. If there's not something unexplainable to you, to an unsaved person that has never tasted grace, has not the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, and has nothing that he takes in concern the Word of God. If he can't see something in me or you, there's something wrong with me or you. He just lost, or she's just lost. So we should be unexplainable to them in the interim. But when our Lord shall appear, we'll have nothing to explain. In verse uh, 28 there, we can have confidence when he comes, when he calls us out. Nothing to explain. Well, you see, Lord, I did this. No, no. Confidence before him at his coming. So, yes, we're in the last times. Yes, it's difficult. Has it been difficult before? Yes. Has it been heartbreaking before? Yes. Will it be heartbreaking again? Probably no. Um, would we like to see a new regime in Washington, yes. Seems like we have a proliferation of antichrists now more than 
earlier, a few decades ago, maybe not, I don't know, but it seemed like there's a particular large quantity on the left coast, and there's really a covey of them up in the northeast coast, and then there must be a nest of them in D.C. I don't know. They're everywhere. But you know something? They always have been because they hate the person of Christ and the veracity of his fully God, fully man, salvation through sacrifice of sin. And they do anything they can to stop it. And they'll never stop it. They'll just aggravate and aggravate until the Lord says, that's enough. May God give us grace to be unexplainable as we walk in him throughout all our days. No one like you, Lord. No one like you. <laughs> uh, Lord, you're, you're unexplainable yourself, really. Uh, how you could love sinners and die for the enemies of God. Unexplainable, Lord, yet incredible in grace and in mercy. God, give us grace to walk pleasing to Thee. Fill us with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, Lord, that we can walk pleasing to Thee. For Your honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.